Good morning, everybody. Happy to have you along with us for another day. Occasional flurries or rain showers today, mostly cloudy, high of three showers or wet flurries tonight. Low of minus three showers on Thursday, high five. Uh, then uh, looks like uh, Friday into Saturday, not too bad. Partly sunny on Friday and Sunday, uh, Saturday, uh, both days. Uh, and both days we should have about a high of 12. So, hey, not too shabby. Uh, the weather yesterday was, uh, man, I've long been, you know, the, uh, the no snow guy. I understand, you know, it's Canada and... We get snow in Canada, and I don't want to leave Canada, so I'm going to accept the snow. But I've never been a big fan of the snow. I'm not a winter guy. like the winter sports. I'm not a winter guy. Everyone's on board with me when it's snow in April. How I feel when we have snow in April is how I feel in snow in January. So how you feel with snow in April, that's how I feel with snow in general. I just can't stand the snow. You got to shovel it. It crinkles underneath your feet. I just I don't like it. Now, we didn't get the crinkling snow yesterday, but still, uh, it'd be nice if the if the weather would just hold off and just, you know, throw us a bone here. Huh? That said, you know, that it is April and this is the pandemic world we are living in, right? Some crazy stories uh, that came out uh, yesterday. You heard uh, you heard of this in the news uh, just now with Scott Monick. He was uh, talking about this serious collision we had. It uh, kind of a crazy one. Uh, two people fighting for their lives, a third uh, with uh, significant inju- injuries happened uh, near um, Hyde Park Road and Fanshawe Park Road. Wait, no, I'm looking at the wrong story here. Nope, no, I'm, not, I'm looking at the right story. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, this was uh, uh, Hard Park Road, uh, Fanshawe Park Road. One vehicle was split in half by the impact. Just a uh, tremendous crash. And I uh, hope everyone is okay, understanding, obviously, what has already happened in terms of that crash. And just how serious it was. It's in a pandemic, we shouldn't be having these types of things. But, you know, I hope everyone's okay with two people fighting for their lives, a third with significant injuries. It's um, serious, serious stuff. But I mean, we are in a pandemic right now. These kinds of uh, crashes should not be happening. We are seeing, at least I'm seeing, you know, these speeding cases left and right. And it does seem like, you know, around the world, there are an increased number of speeding cases. Uh, I was, you know, reading something in, you know, in England right now, they've got an increase of people speeding because not as many people on the road. Uh, Down in Orlando, they're looking at uh, speeding in terms of uh, people just taking advantage of people, again, not being on the road. In Toronto, they had a 30% increase in speeding for the second half of March. So people weren't even waiting all that long uh, in our area. You know, it seems like every day there's new stories coming into the inbox from OPP, you know, some from, from London in terms of London police, in terms of uh, speeding, speeding everywhere. I mean, speeding is a problem regardless, but uh, people taking advantage of those open roads 
and it can be dangerous. So uh, be careful if you are out there. If you are able to be, you know, driving around and you're going there for work, then be careful. But if you're just going out just uh, to joyride and just, I mean, you can go out for a drive and to get out of the house. That's cool. But uh, let's not speed, huh? Takes resources away from where they need to be and can can result in potentially, you know, disastrous situations like this crash in northwest London. There was the other story that uh, jumped out at me that uh, you would have heard on 980 CFPL yesterday about the person who stole an EMS vehicle and drove it into police headquarters. So it was around 1.20 in the morning where police were told that a uh, EMS uh, vehicle had been stolen. A uh, spike belt was put out. Driver uh, kept trying to evade police. Eventually, the driver attempted to hide by trying to drive into an underground garage. Unfortunately for them, it was the garage for the London Police Headquarters and that's where the holding cells are. And so drove right into police headquarters. I mean, on the one hand, if you have to have a stolen vehicle investigation, how nice of the uh, person to drive straight to police headquarters. <laughs> but uh, I would have loved to have heard the uh, scanner for that one. Just to, as that is unfolding. As they're watching this vehicle trailing the vehicle person thinks, Oh wait, I've got it. I'm home free. I'm going to hide in this underground uh, garage. They'll never find me. I'm the uh, criminal genius. And they drive to police headquarters, a funny story. And just the kind of thing we need these days, aside from the fact the, uh, SUV, it was an, it was an SUV that was stolen. So not, not, one positive being not, you know, a ambulance, but still a unusual and uh, fitting situation kind of story for where we are right now with up is down, down is up. I can smell colors kind of a time with this pandemic. I feel that's where we are. It's we had like, you know, all the kinds of weather we wanted yesterday alone. And it's this is the way it's going to be for the next little while. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Welcome back, everybody. Happy to have you along with us. Good morning. We got another 11 cases of COVID-19 in London, Middlesex yesterday. No uh, new deaths were reported. So that was uh, one of the uh, positives on the day. 11 new cases is a bit under what we've seen in uh, previous days in terms of what, I don't know if, I wouldn't say what the average would be, but 11 is a little bit lower and certainly not indicative of anything onto its own. But we did have the new modeling out this week talking about uh, us being at our peak now. So the focus is on what happens after all of this and we shall see. Uh, but 11 new people tested positive for the uh, novel coronavirus. Of them, seven were at local seniors' facilities. 
Officials in Huron and Perth reported a new case at a facility in Stratford. The fact that seven of our 11 cases being in senior facilities also kind of shows that those models that came out this week about there being two kinds of pandemics at this point, there's the community spread aspect and there's the uh, retirement home, there's the long-term care home aspect to it, which is uh, very much uh, going on uh, in a much different way than the community spread, whereas might be at our peak for a community spread for the long-term care homes. It is a much more serious situation. Total number of confirmed cases in London and Middlesex is 334. Middlesex Learned Health Unit reports 11 more people have recovered. So the total of uh, recoveries is 149. We remain unchanged in the total number of deaths at 22. The uh, new cases include... Uh, two long current long-term care residents, one retirement home resident, and four retirement home staff. Local seniors facilities account for about 26% of all confirmed cases and about 36% of all deaths reported in London and Middlesex. Eight deaths have been reported at long-term care homes with 53 cases involving 35 residents and 18 staff at retirement homes. 34 cases have been reported involving 23 residents and 11 staff. The facilities account for 10 of the 14 outbreaks declared in the region so far. Two of the area's 14 outbreaks have been resolved. The London Health Sciences Centre reported on Tuesday that an outbreak declared at University Hospital on April 11th in the inpatient cardiology ward has now been declared over. An active outbreak remains at Victoria Hospital in the Geriatric Behavioral Unit. At least uh, 20, 127 outbreaks have been declared at long-term care facilities in Ontario as of Monday, with uh, nearly 1,400 residents and 671 staff testing positive. At least 273 residents and one staff member have died. Ontario reported another 551 cases on Tuesday. It's down slightly from where we were on Monday. We had a bit over 600 on uh, Monday. 38 new deaths were reported yesterday, up to almost 12,000 cases for Ontario, 11,735. So we will go over 12,000 uh, cases today. The good news is the increase we had yesterday was a 4.9% uh, increase over uh, Monday's total, so the total number of cases. So it's the lowest growth rate in weeks. So it's an increase in, in terms of number of cases, but the in terms of the percentage, it's a, a lower percentage, so that is a positive. The update comes a day after new provincial modeling that suggested the community spread in Ontario is in its peak period. We have 622 deaths for Ontario, 5,806 5, resolved cases. The number of resolved cases is almost half of our total cases, which is another positive. Across the country, we have uh, 38,000 cases of coronavirus. That's as of 4 a.m. this morning, over 13,000 recoveries and 1,800 deaths. The total number of deaths in this country so when we have like 1,800 deaths for all of uh, Canada, United States reported about 2,800 deaths yesterday alone. So a bit of um, the reality of what they are facing compared to what we are facing and a, a credit to the work we have been putting in with our social distancing. Federal government is expected to announce today a 
program or more financial support for students and other young Canadians struggling with uh, the uh, pandemic. As we were talking on Monday, Western students are finding themselves in a, a very difficult position. Many concerned about rent. May 1st is coming up quickly. Many are concerned about paying tuition. They're concerned about paying the bills in general, and they are a unique subset of everyone who has lost a job because in some cases they haven't lost a job yet, but they're going to, or they've already been told the job they were planning on will not happen. And so how do you account for that? So it's good to see uh, that being addressed because eventually everything will come back and will return, but you can't go to university if you can't afford it, and here we are. Some students have complained they don't qualify for the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. Only 15% of Western students uh, do qualify, we were uh, uh, told on Monday. Uh, CERB provides $500 a week for up to 16 weeks to Canadians who have lost their jobs to the pandemic and had an income of at least $5,000 in the previous 12 months criteria that does not apply to many students. Premier Doug Ford also says he's being lobbied hard to reopen various sectors of the economy, but he's urging patience. Ford says his government framework for how and when to reduce and remove various restrictions will be released in a few days. He has not given specifics other than to say one of the first areas may be outdoor activities. And uh, he did mention yesterday, which was uh, a bit funny, he's being lobbied by his 12-year-old nephew, who is uh, Rob Ford's uh, son, former mayor of Toronto, to make sure he can go to camp in the summer. How we reopen the economy will be something uh, to follow and uh, is of interest. So how we do that is something we have already talked about on the show and will continue to talk about just because we do not want to have what we are going through now happen again. In the United States, the CDC is talking about how a second wave for them could be even deadlier than the first wave. And they're talking about the second wave being, you know, this this winter. So, you know, eight months from now. So whatever we can do now to better prepare ourselves for whatever is going to be coming in eight months from now, uh, we should be doing it. Part of the reason for it being potentially more deadly uh, this winter, the CDC is saying, is at that point you're going to have, you know, the flu and every other respiratory illness in in full effect right from the beginning. You've got coronavirus still going on, assuming there's no vaccine, and so that is some of the concern for the second wave. The Americans got their own problems with the first wave still going on. But we cannot be rushing back to uh, whatever normalcy might be because it is not coming anytime soon. And if that normalcy comes at the price of more lives and us having to go back to this, then I don't want to do it. We'll stop for news. When we come back, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning at 630. I'm Scott Monick in downtown London. Clear skies. We are sitting at minus three. And now we'll head over to the Lexus of London Traffic Centre and check in with Nick Van Overloop. 
Main and side roads are problem-free across the city for your morning drive. So are the major highways running through the city west to Sarnia and east to Woodstock and Bramford. As always, if you see a trouble spot, call us hands-free at 519-931-6098. Now from the Bentley Hearing Services Weather Center, here's John Wilson. What you saw yesterday you're going to get basically more of today, but not as much. In fact, the flurries should be rather occasional and maybe mixed with rain showers and not as numerous and still mostly cloudy with sunny breaks. Better this afternoon, I think, but cold, only 3 degrees. Minus 3 tonight, not quite a record low, but not far off. And again, showers or wet flurries or maybe a little freezing rain as a warm front comes up, and that'll breed showers in 5 tomorrow and partly sunny in 12 for Friday. Today's high 3. Nova Scotia residents living along the path of a killer's weekend rampage are now raising questions about whether a public safety alert might have saved lives. It began Saturday night ending Sunday with the death of the suspected shooter and after 22 people were killed and five homes burned to the ground. However, no agency issued a public emergency alert, which automatically pops up on all smartphones and televisions. Three people were taken to hospital with serious injuries following a crash in London's North End. It happened yesterday afternoon, just before 4 o'clock at Fanshawe Park Road and Hyde Park Road. Few details about the crash have been released, but London police say both drivers and a passenger in one of the vehicles were all taken to hospital in serious condition. Canada now has 38,422 confirmed and presumptive cases of COVID-19. The coronavirus has left at least 1,834 people dead. Quebec and Ontario remain the epicenters of the outbreak with a combined caseload of nearly 32,000. Here in London, the Middlesex London Health Unit released new numbers yesterday reporting 11 new cases but no new deaths in the region. Well, if you're out grabbing a coffee, you'll notice some workers will look a little bit different. Global's Tina Trajani says Tim Horton's employees have added something new to the uniform. In efforts to prevent the potential spread of COVID-19, workers at Tim's locations right across Canada are now required to wear masks during their shifts. That starts up today. And before they even step on the floor to work, their temperature will be taken. That includes delivery drivers. The thermometers, of course, will be sanitized between uses. The company's CEO says the measure is there to protect the staff as well as customers. Protective shields are also being installed at drive through windows. Just days ago, TNT Supermarkets, which falls under Loblaw, brought in mandatory temperature checks for its employees, and it is optional now for customers. Tina Trajani, Global News. Time now for sports. Powered by Hanford's Tire and Service, Rob Gronkowski is back in the NFL. The star tight end is coming out of retirement to join Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. The New England Patriots have agreed to trade Gronk and a seventh-round draft pick to the Bucks for a fourth-rounder. Time now for a market minute, and from the eWorkplace Business Center, here is Rob Westgate. Global markets saw a broad-based decline yesterday as crude oil prices sank to their lowest level in more than two decades on heightened supply concerns. Toronto's S&P TSX lost 448 points to close at 13,940, a drop of 3.1%. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 631 points to 23,018, and the Nasdaq finished in the red, down 297 points at 8,263. A mixed morning for the Asian markets. Japan's Nikkei is finishing down 142 points at 19,137. Ahead of closing in Hong Kong, the Hang Seng is up 90 points. And the loonie is trading this morning at 70.57 cents U.S. Coming up next, more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL.
Good morning, everyone. As we've discussed previously on the program, misinformation is everywhere during this pandemic. It was a problem before it began. It continues to be the case. What is different is social media companies are doing some more to fight the misinformation out there. The question is, are they doing enough? To talk about this, we are joined by Robert Evans, a journalist for the open source investigative website Bellingcat. He is based in Southern California, so I recorded this with him yesterday. Here is that conversation. Facebook, uh, Google, uh, YouTube, Twitter, they've all been uh, fighting misinformation during the pandemic uh, more than they've done in the past, which, you know, to some degree isn't really a whole lot in the past. But are you surprised as to what they've been doing? We kind of get we can get into what they've been doing, but are you surprised that they've stepped it up a little bit during this pandemic here? You know, the only thing that has surprised me um, has been when uh, Facebook, starting with Facebook, but then Twitter um, and YouTube were, were quick to follow, removed uh, and shut down essentially a live broadcast from the president of Brazil because he was spreading misinformation. That was the first time I think I've ever seen any of these companies act in a, in a timely manner because they, they cut him off in the middle of his broadcast. They were clearly monitoring it and act in a timely manner in a, in a situation that was kind of politically um, dicey for them. You know, that was that was not just shutting down some random disinformation from, you know, some grifter trying to sell uh, fake medical supplements to cure the coronavirus that was shutting down a major international, you know, national, but also international like political figure. Um, so that's the only thing that surprised me, though. I, I would say most of the rest of, of the attempts I've seen, and this is cross platform um, to shut down coronavirus disinformation have been kind of what I expect, um, which is. Uh, half-hearted and thoroughly um, not very thoroughly inconsistent. So I, I, I would say I have on the whole not been um, impressed by the efforts I've seen to stop misinformation by these companies um, with the, the clear exception of what they did in the case of Jair Bolsonaro. Yeah, I said they've been doing more, which again is not too much. I guess one way it looks as though I think people are noticing it more, they're just being more, uh, uh, they're showing what they're doing a bit more than maybe they've done in the past, which again, they, they haven't been too uh, um, interested in doing this in the past. They've been reluctant before. Why do you think they're being a, a bit more vigilant now? You know, I suspect a lot of it just has to do with the fact that, you know, the individual human beings at these companies who are responsible for, you know, actually implementing things and pushing things at the, at the policy level, you know, not like the kind of grunt level admins, but the people actually making policy for these companies are scared. Um, and they're scared of this virus. They're scared about, you know, the economic collapse that it, it seems to be bringing. Um, and so they are, because this is immediate to them, um, they're finally willing to take action. And, and yes, you, you are correct. They have taken significantly more. So like my, my uh, coverage of kind of social media companies, failures to clamp down on disinformation started with different sort of neo-Nazi organizations spreading uh, conspiracy theories and racial hatred and, you know, advocating violence. And it's been very difficult and still is difficult to get them to take any action on that stuff. And they have taken more action on coronavirus uh, misinformation, um, some of which is pushed by these same kind of far-right neo-Nazi groups. Um, but that said, I would say the increased, the, the sheer density of coronavirus disinformation that exists right now um, means that there's still probably net more disinformation out on all of these networks at present, just because um, it's so focused and also people are online so much more today. Like, I, I don't think 
less bad information is being pushed by social media right now. I think they're removing more bad information, but I, I don't think that means in aggregate there's less of it. I will say, I mean, like misinformation on social media and Facebook in particular, it's like that old scene from, you know, uh, uh, the, from Lucy, I Love Lucy, where they've got the, the, the conveyor belt just keeps going and going and going. So it, it's mm-hmm. a difficult job, but it's also their job. It is their job. And it's, there's a, de- there's a deeply unsettling question that we are all going to have to ask ourselves as we get through this, which is, is there a way to have a service as large as Facebook that is responsible and does not endanger society? Um, because at the moment, I, I would say it is my opinion that in objective terms, Facebook does more damage than, than the good it brings to society. Um, in the, in the, and you can see this in just, for example, the fact that a huge amount of disinformation related to like the Chinese government and Asian American individuals spreading the coronavirus, um, that is rampant on Facebook, and it has led to a surge in hate crimes against Asian Americans. And we can, we, can, we can go back years and years and talk about, you know, this happening in a number of places around the world, including an ethnic cleansing in Myanmar. Um, and I, I, at the end of the day, because I spend all of my time thinking about this and, and seeing how these things spread, not just on Facebook, but I think Facebook is, is the primary, is the most dangerous one. Um, and I think it's because of its numbers. And I, I, I have to wonder... Is it even possible for a service that that measures its user count at such a high number to to be responsible? And I, I don't know. I, I, I tend to think that the answer may be no. I tend to think that there may be no way for a service that large to not be fundamentally toxic, at least as long as it's ad driven. Um, and thus there's kind of algorithmic reasons to present content in the way that Facebook does and let it spread in the way that it does. What could they be doing more to maybe not stop all of this, but do a better job of addressing uh, the extreme amounts of misinformation that we are seeing out there? Well, I I think that they could be doing a better job of banning individuals who uh, perpetuate this disinformation, um, which they often don't do for larger uh, uh, individuals with larger followings, individuals who are, you know, kind of more on the political side of the spectrum. We have some, you know, there's been some stories that have come out about internal Facebook conversations where they refuse to remove or, or act against people who are spreading disinformation who were um, political figures um, on the, particularly in, on the right wing in the United States, um, because some of the disinformation being pushed by those figures was informa- disinformation being pushed um, by elected officials from those parties, and they they didn't want to kind of wade in. Uh, and and at the end of the day, you can't stop disinformation in 2020 and be completely apolitical because disinformation in 2020 is a fundamentally political thing. That is Robert Evans, journalist for the open source investigative website Bellingcat. We need to pause. When we return, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Occasional flurries or rain showers, mostly cloudy today, high of three. Showers or wet flurries tonight, low of minus three. Showers tomorrow, high of five. I don't know about you, but I've uh, really noticed since we had to start uh, washing our hands, you know, even more so than before. I don't want to say since we had to start washing our hands because, (laughs) 
you should have been washing your hands. But, you know, not to the degree we are right now. My hands would just be getting dry and all chappy. And so I've had to turn to uh, hand cream. I've never been a hand cream guy. And I don't like being a hand cream guy. I'm worried when this is all over, I'm going to be a hand cream guy. We'll see. Uh, but a new survey does show people are becoming hand-washing fanatics. 90% of people say they are washing their hands more frequently or longer. And 20% of people now scrub their hands at least 16 times a day, which, depending on what you're doing, is not necessarily uh, too much, you know. Probably about right. I... I I'm probably around 16 times a day, just given things that go along in, in the day. So 78% wash their hands thoroughly at least six times a day. That's up from 37% who do that before the outbreak. 88% of people say they're going to keep washing their hands at this pace once the pandemic is over, which I guess would be good news for the uh, hand-washing industry. If you're looking for something to do during all of this, you could learn a new skill. There's uh, websites that are popping up and have that existed before. They're really finding their uh, their uh, their niche now, I guess. Uh, Fender.com is offering three months of free guitar lessons. Rosetta Stone has free language classes for students. Class Central. Uh, com has a list of 450 uh, cl classes from Ivy League schools. So uh, here are the things that people are really learning online the most right now. And if you are doing any of this stuff, uh, all the power to you, because I am not spending my time this productively. <laughs> uh, so uh, most people are taking cooking classes online, which makes sense. New York Times uh, has some good recipes. Uh, BBC has some good recipes. The Kitchen, spelled K-I-T-C-H-N, has some good recipes. I uh, do subscribe to the New York Times. They got me, and I subscribe to their cooking one. It's the subscription on top of subscription. You can get a whole the the uh, the big humdinger of a subscription if you want that gets you everything. I didn't do that. Probably should have. They have tons of great uh, recipes, though. I will say that. Number two is uh, people learning an instrument. Uh, guitar, ukulele, and bass classes are some of the most uh, popular. You can learn a new language. That's also quite popular. Learning to code is quite popular right now. Uh, freecodecamp.org has some uh, free classes on how to code. That's probably a good skill to have coming out of all this. Or, hey, you could just read a book. Don't have to get fancy. Just read a book. I uh, admittedly have not been reading as much as I was planning to during all this. You know, I, I have been reading a book. I've been trucking along. The The thing is, and this is, you know, just more of a morning show thing. I find waking up when I do, if I have a down moment where I'm just reading a book, it's not if I'm reading, if I'm on my iPad or something, not reading something then it's not as big an issue. But if I'm reading a book and I'm sitting down, you're getting comfy, I find that'll knock me off to sleep. So my best chance to read is usually on the weekends. And it's just, uh, it slows the book reading process. I don't know if you're the same, but that's that's what happens for me. 
If you are cooking more than usual during the uh, pandemic, you are not alone. New poll says 54% of people are cooking more right now. 46% are doing more baking. Based on uh, my Instagram, uh, it certainly appears to be the case. Everyone's cooking. It's almost impossible to find flour these days. I I shouldn't say impossible. It's, It's a little bit more difficult, that's to say the least. The most sought-after recipes are simple, practical meals. 61% of us have searched for those. 60% have looked for ways to use specific ingredients. Epicurious.com is a good website you can go to. You can just type in what you have in your pantry. They'll give you a recipe if you're looking for something. Uh, 57% of people say they're wasting less food uh, because of the lockdown. Half of people who have spent time in the kitchen say it's made them more confident in their cooking skills. 35% are enjoying it more than they used to. Are we uh, more healthier with our cooking because of all this? Uh, Yes and no. 39% uh, said their diet has improved. 40% said they've uh, leaned more on comfort foods to get through the quarantine. Snacking throughout the day is at an all-time high, especially for parents. 50% of people with kids (laughs) say they're snacking more than they did uh, before all this because of uh, the uh, pandemic. And 51% of people who have been cooking more say they will keep it up once the lockdown ends. Top reasons are it's cheaper, it's healthier, it's relaxing, and we like trying new foods. I've always liked cooking. I'd recommend it. I had I didn't know I didn't cook this one I'm about to share with you I didn't cook this uh, but it was good uh, vegan spare ribs tried the other day I'd have again and a, a black bean burger which was uh, super tasty to to it was so tasty I have leftovers and I'm having it for lunch today and I'd be lying if I didn't tell you all right now I'm looking forward to uh, five hours from now when I can have my bean bur- my uh, black bean burger. Uh, for lunch. It was uh, super tasty. You should uh, give it a try. If you are super bored, there is a new website out there that allows you to uh, help choose new colors for names. This is almost like uh, watching paint dry for me, but um, if you think you have a better idea than burnt sienna, whatever that might be, then uh, knock your socks off. You can go to colornames.org and you can name some colors. They say as long as the name is not uh, offensive and make sure it's descriptive and non-offensive, it becomes official. I don't know if the internet's going to stick to the non-offensive part, uh, but if you want to uh, name a color, well, uh, you're in luck. And finally, sci-fi movies set in 2020 that didn't quite get it right include Edge of Tomorrow, where aliens have invaded and take over huge swaths of the Earth. So here are the movies that were set in uh, 2020. Edge of Tomorrow, Mission to Mars, Pacific Rim, Reign of Fire, and A Quiet Place. All tend to have some sort of alien to it, right? I mean, Mission to Mars, we're sending a manned spacecraft to Mars. That hasn't happened. Pacific Rim has giant monsters. Reign of Fire has dragons. And A Quiet Place has those uh, animals that uh, can hear any uh, sound you make. make. So we never uh, quite get it right when we look into the future. Aside from Back to the Future, which uh, 
nailed quite a bit. We'll take a break for news. When we come back, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning at 7 o'clock. I'm Scott Monick in downtown London. It's partly cloudy. We are sitting at minus 3. Questions are being raised about public warning systems in Nova Scotia following this weekend's shooting spree. We'll have more on that coming up. But first, we'll check in with the Lexus of London Traffic Centre and Nick Van Overloop. Inside the city, roads are moving well so far this morning. Outside of the city, the 401, 402 to Sarnia and 403 to Brantford are also moving well for your morning drive. As always, if you see a traffic tie-up or collision, call us hands-free at 519-931-6098. And now from the Bentley Hearing Services Weather Center, here's John Wilson. Again today, mostly cloudy, sunny breaks and occasional lake-generated flurries or rain showers as we get to 3 degrees, our high. And most of the action will be this morning and midday. The afternoon should quiet down some. But tonight, still a chance of flurries or rain showers or even a bit of freezing rain as our low of minus 3 begins to climb. Now, showers and 5 will be the result Thursday, partly sunny and 12 on Friday. And we should repeat that on Saturday. Today's high 3. Nova Scotia RCMP say probes continue at 16 specific locations across the province following the weekend's mass killing that left 23 people dead. The investigation is moving slowly, as it also includes multiple sites where people's bodies were found inside burned buildings. Police say some of the victims were known and targeted by the 51-year-old shooter who was shot dead by police, while others appear to be random victims. Meantime, Nova Scotians are asking questions about whether public warning systems were adequate. Premier Stephen McNeil says the province's public warning system was ready to go on Sunday morning as the killer continued his deadly rampage through rural towns. But McNeil says the system was not used because no request was received at the emergency management office from the RCMP. EMO uh, on their own brought in uh, their alert technicians to make sure that we would be ready to issue an alert. Uh, but w- the reason why the RCMP have not didn't ask it would be a question for them, not for us. The RCMP provided Twitter updates, but no public agency issued a public emergency alert that automatically pops up on smartphones. A serious two-vehicle crash in North London sent three people to hospital. It happened yesterday afternoon, just before 4 o'clock, at Fanshawe Park Road and Hyde Park Road. Police say a 24-year-old man who was driving one of the vehicles was taken to hospital in serious condition. The other driver, a 54-year-old man and a 42-year-old male passenger in the vehicle, were both taken to hospital in serious condition and remain in critical but stable condition. The intersection was closed for several hours but has since reopened. Premier Doug Ford says the province should release a framework in the next few days for how and when to start lifting COVID-19 restrictions. He would not give specifics at a media briefing yesterday, except to say that one of the first areas may be outdoor activities. Ford says he's hearing pushes from all sides to resume normalcy after new modelling released yesterday suggested community spread of COVID-19 is peaking in Ontario, but he's urging patients to avoid a resurgence of the coronavirus. Ontario reporting the lowest growth rate in cases of COVID-19 in weeks. Officials yesterday reported 551 new cases and 38 new deaths. Locally, the Middlesex London Health Unit reported 11 new cases on Tuesday, but no new deaths. Officials said seven of the new cases were linked to local seniors' facilities. 
City Council unanimously approved an additional economic relief measure to help Londoners and local businesses during the pandemic. Last night, Council voted to defer the due date for final 2020 property tax installments by 60 days. Meantime, Londoners will soon have some more insight into the city's finances amid the pandemic. Council Budget Chair Josh Morgan says a report coming out today will outline the full impact of COVID-19 on the city's operations. You've heard stories of municipalities, millions and millions of dollars in the hole. Uh, We're going to find out what the London situation looks like next week, and we need to make sure that we base our decisions on that context. Um, And so you see us taking uh, an approach where we go as far as we can now. Um, We may take further action once we see where the city stands and what our capacity is next week. And councillors will have a chance to discuss the findings in the report when they meet as the Strategic Priorities and Policy Committee next week. And today is Earth Day, a day annually set aside to celebrate the environment. Only this year, it is being marked during the COVID-19 pandemic and a global shutdown. As the world stays home, air quality has improved significantly, even in regions notorious for thick, foul smog. Dr. Brett Bennington at Hofstra University says what we are seeing now is what we might achieve if humanity could transition the world's economies away from burning things. Time now for sports. Powered by Hanford's tire and service, Rob Gronkowski spent nine seasons catching passes from Tom Brady in New England. The two are about to reunite in Tampa Bay. Gronkowski's agent says the tight end is about to come out of retirement and has accepted a trade to the Buccaneers. The Patriots also would send a seventh-round pick to the Bucks for a fourth-rounder. Time now for a Market Minute, and from the eWorkplace Business Center, here is Rob Westgate. Global markets saw a broad-based decline yesterday as crude oil prices sank to their lowest level in more than two decades on heightened supply concerns. Toronto's S&P TSX lost 448 points to close at 13,940, a drop of 3.1%. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 631 points to 23,018, and the Nasdaq finished in the red, down 297 points at 8,263. A mixed morning for the Asian markets. Japan's Nikkei is finishing down 142 points at 19,137. Ahead of closing in Hong Kong, the Hang Seng is up 90 points. And the loonie is trading this morning at 70.57 cents U.S. Up next, more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Welcome back, everyone. We are into the second hour of the program. Good to have you along with us today. Occasional flurries or rain showers today, mostly cloudy, high of three. Showers or wet flurries tonight, low of minus three. Showers on Thursday, high of five. Partly sunny on Friday and Saturday, high of 12 both days. As uh, family and friends try to figure out how to mourn their loved ones in the aftermath of the uh, massive uh, mass shooting in Nova Scotia. More questions are emerging about the way police issued warnings during the killings. There were updates on Twitter from the RCMP about an active uh, shooter on the loose. However, no public agency issued an emergency alert that automatically automatically would pop up on your uh, smartphone and television even though the provincial alert system had recently been used to advise people to maintain physical distancing because of COVID-19. Premier Stephen McNeil has said the system was was not used because no request was, was received 
at the emergency management office from the RCMP. And McNeil has acknowledged more could have been done, saying he wished the details could have been communicated with more agencies in hindsight. 23 people now dead. That includes the shooter. Officials have been pressed repeatedly as to why they did not use the system at any point during the 12-hour rampage. Uh, they have said they were talking on uh, Twitter and sharing on Twitter. I mean, that's great. The problem is not everyone uses Twitter. I have seen a lot of people try to communicate almost exclusively through Twitter during the pandemic, which is fine. But again, not everyone is on Twitter. Even though a lot of people are working from home these days, not everyone is on Twitter. And so if Twitter is your primary source of communicating issues, be it a a shooting, be it the pandemic, then you need to reevaluate your communication strategy because it is not going to get information to the highest amount of people. So that is something uh, to follow. What's also going to be, you know, interesting in the Nova Scotia case is... Like, how do you hold a funeral? I mean, in Ontario, they've changed the rules slightly. We've talked about funerals on this program and on this radio station and how it's changed. But the Ontario corner has made it so you have to pick a funeral home within an hour. So the the pressure on families to move on quickly after a loved one has died has increased even more so. And so how do you properly mourn a loved one like this in a situation like we are in right now? It's just, it's a heartache on top of heartache. And I don't know what I would do in that situation. I'm lucky I don't have to think about that, but there are uh, far too many who do right now, be it for pandemic reasons or others. Uh, Otherwise, it's just, uh, it's tragic. The, the emergency alert system is important, though, just because for all the stories we've seen about uh, the gunman you know, driving around in an RCMP vehicle, what looked like an RCMP vehicle, it wasn't an actual vehicle, wearing a uniform, an alert about that very thing could have helped people. One of the uh, widowers has said he would not have allowed his wife to leave the house had they been aware of this. They were following it on Saturday, but did not assume it was still going on Sunday morning. And uh, that could have saved lives. The, uh, the, the details of how this all played out are tragic. Uh, Murray Faulkner joined us on the program yesterday, and he made a point that I, I do agree with. The more you see about what has happened here. I'm glad that gunman's dead. Uh, it's a little, uh, maybe twisted for so early in the morning, but if it spares the family, some heartache in this, then I, I hope it does, but, um, it won't spare much because there is a, a tremendous amount of heartache that comes with this for obvious reasons. Now, before we break, I want to uh, mention our locally owned and awesome businesses for today, courtesy of Ontario West Insurance Brokers and proudly supported by the London Police Association. Um, first off, UVU Office Phone. 
Website is yovu.ca. They are located at 517 Consortium Court in London. Phone number is 519-488-1001. They are a locally founded, owned, and operated business of VoIP. Uh, also, a Bombshell. They are a hair and aesthetics at Beauty Studio located at 1980 Dundas Street. Their website is londonbombshell.com. Phone number is 519-951-8000 or 801 or 1001, I guess. Uh, they are currently closed temporarily, but they are still offering and delivering products. You can uh, check them out on their Facebook page as well. Uh, London Bombshell. Uh, please support all local businesses as much as you can during this because uh, we're in it with them and they're in it with us. And the more we can support each other, be it a shooting out east, be it a pandemic around the world, be it a, a small business in our community, uh, the better off we will be. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Uh, grocery shopping has never been something I've uh, looked forward to. Shopping in general, not uh, something that's uh, the uh, high point of my day. You get in, you get out as quickly as possible. That's still the case now for a completely different reason. The uh, pandemic has had a huge impact on grocery stores. They are doing an incredible amount of business online and in-store. The pandemic has led to uh, pretty uh, large increases in demand at grocery stores and for food producers. And to talk about this, we are joined by food economist Mike von Massel from the University of Guelph. I appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Good morning, Devin. Thank you for having me. Is the increase in demand at uh, grocery stores anything like we've seen before? No, what we're seeing now is is sort of an unprecedented surge in demand at grocery stores, driven by uh, the fact that we're not eating out. You know, restaurants have seen a significant drop in demand and closed. And so that 30% of our food dollar, we still need to eat. Uh, I think we're, uh, we're, we, we saw early in the process um, a surge in demand just as, as many people were stocking up and maybe some panic buying. And I think the other thing that's been a bit interesting is that we're probably going to the grocery store less frequently than we were before, so our individual shops are bigger, and, and grocery stores have had to respond to all three of those factors. What sort of pressure does this put on the grocery stores themselves? So, uh, certainly, you know, when it's in-store, but also online ordering has uh, really gone uh, through the roof. Well, well, the online ordering is something that grocery stores were doing. As Canadians, we were we we, we had seen it growing pretty slowly. I think the number was about three percent or four uh, percent, and all of a sudden, it's gone through the roof, and that requires more people. If you think about uh, grocery stores that are doing the click and collect or or the delivery, they need people to pick those orders up from the store, and it's not someone that we're reallocating. So they've seen this huge surge in demand, while at the same time uh, struggling to get people to come in and work. So uh, that's been that's been a challenge for stores, and part of it's also been adjusting their forecasts. We have a kind of a just-in-time system for food. Most grocery stores don't have a lot of storage. And so this surge in demand has seen some demand-based shortages in grocery stores, but we're, we're seeing the shelves ca ca catch up. 
We're not seeing shortages because we're not producing food. We're seeing shortages because we had unexpected surges in demand, and now the system is catching up. Uh, one of the interesting aspects of the online ordering um, you know, issues I've seen is to typically, just because of how quickly this has been happening, you, if you look online for a price, you can expect that's going to be the price in the end. But just with the way it's all going, like some of these websites weren't built to be updating as fast as they're needing to be updated just because of how brisk of a business the online ordering is. Well, I think, I think uh, for, for the most part, stores that had well-established sort of online, uh, online protocols haven't seen a whole lot of change in price. We've seen some small changes, but some prices have gone up, some prices have gone down. I think overall we haven't seen a whole lot. In some cases with online where companies are starting it for the first time, they're getting a better reflection of their costs, uh, which has been difficult. How much is delivery going to cost? How much is, uh, how much is this processing going to cost? Uh, and so in some, in some instances where people didn't have the online presence to start with, uh, it's been difficult for them to establish uh, to establish pricing as they as they uh, as they understand their costs better. Do you think this could start a trend, uh, or maybe not not start a trend because it already existed, but uh, speed up the online aspect after this is over, or would you maybe expect people to go back to what they were doing beforehand? Well, well, Devin, I think what's interesting is is you know, many of us were doing the calculus, well, you know, there's some benefits of convenience, but we like to pick our own food. Uh, so uh, we decided not to. Now those, those calculations have changed a bit. We don't want to go into the store, perhaps. And we've seen this huge surge. For many people, it'll be, well, this isn't too bad. It works pretty well. I get products I like. Uh, maybe I should continue to do it. Others, I think, will come uh, we'll we'll go back to the grocery store. So I think we'll never go down to the levels we had before, but I expect we'll see a little bit of a fallback. What might be uh, what we might see too is that some people say, well, this works pretty well for things that it doesn't matter which jar of peanut butter I pick off the shelves or which bag of flour I pick off the shelves, but I really still prefer to pick my own bananas or pick my own tomatoes or whatever. So you might see people say, okay, well, for 75% of my order, I'll do a click and collect. Uh, I'll order it online and pick it up at the store. And while I'm at the store anyway, I'll run in and get my meat and produce because that's the stuff I like to pick and, and, and do some combination things. So, yeah, yeah, I think it'll fall back, uh, but, but nowhere near the levels that we were at before. This has obviously had a huge impact on grocery stores. What about food producers? I mean, as you say, we're still producing the food. It's more, uh, that's not the issue, but it's still, still they're doing a very brisk business. Yep. Uh, you know, to, to a significant degree, we're not eating more food than we were before. And what we've had to see is a sort of a realignment or a reallocation in our supply chain. So people who are producing food, uh, dairy producers, I, I spoke to a dairy producer the other day who said to me, uh, Mike, the cows don't know that there's anything different. And if anything, there are a few fewer salespeople coming onto the farm. Really, other than that, there's not a lot of things changing. Um, if you're a fruit and vegetable producer and you were waiting for temporary foreign workers, you're feeling some, you're feeling some pressure, but it looks like we're getting those issues resolved, maybe getting them here a little later than we hope, but, but they're coming. Where, where, uh, so, so, 
we've seen that reallocation where people who were producing for the restaurant business now are producing uh, for that increased demand in the grocery. Uh, but, but that reallocation, I think, has happened uh, remarkably well uh, in the face of this unprecedented demand shock. Uh, Mike, I really appreciate your time and your perspective today. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me. Everyone stay safe and well. Absolutely. You as well. That is uh, food economist uh, Mike Von Massa with some great insight. He is with the University of Guelph. We need to pause. When we come back, we will have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning at 7.30. I'm Scott Monick in downtown London. It's partly cloudy. We are sitting at minus three. There's more fallout from the mass killings in Nova Scotia as questions are being raised about the public alert system. We'll have details on the way, but first we'll check in with the Lexus of London Traffic Centre and Nick Van Overloop. Main and side roads are problem-free across the city for your morning drive. So are the major highways running through the city, west to Sarnia and east to Woodstock and Bramford. As always, if you see a trouble spot, call us hands-free at 519-931-6098. Now from the Bentley Hearing Services Weather Centre, here's John Wilson. What you saw yesterday you're going to get basically more of today, but not as much. In fact, the flurries should be rather occasional and maybe mixed with rain showers and not as numerous and still mostly cloudy with sunny breaks. Better this afternoon, I think, but cold, only 3 degrees. Minus 3 tonight, not quite a record low, but not far off. And again, showers or wet flurries or maybe a little freezing rain as a warm front comes up, and that'll breed showers in 5 tomorrow and partly sunny in 12 for Friday. Today's high 3. Nova Scotia residents living along the path of a killer's weekend rampage are now raising questions about whether a public safety alert might have saved lives. It began Saturday night, ending Sunday with the death of the suspected shooter and after 22 people were killed and five homes burned to the ground. However, no agency issued a public emergency alert, which automatically pops up on all smartphones and televisions. Three people were taken to hospital with serious injuries following a crash in London's North End. It happened yesterday afternoon, just before 4 o'clock at Fanshawe Park Road and Hyde Park Road. Few details about the crash have been released, but London police say both drivers and a passenger in one of the vehicles were all taken to hospital in serious condition. Canada now has 38,422 confirmed and presumptive cases of COVID-19. The coronavirus has left at least 1,834 people dead. Quebec and Ontario remain the epicenters of the outbreak with a combined caseload of nearly 32,000. Here in London, the Middlesex London Health Unit released new numbers yesterday reporting 11 new cases but no new deaths in the region. Well, if you're out grabbing a coffee, you'll notice some workers will look a little bit different. Global's Tina Trajani says Tim Horton's employees have added something new to the uniform. In efforts to prevent the potential spread of COVID-19, workers at Tim's locations right across Canada are now required to wear masks during their shifts. That starts up today. And before they even step on the floor to work, their temperature will be taken. That includes delivery drivers. The thermometers, of course, will be sanitized between uses. The company's CEO says the measure is there to protect the staff as well as customers. Protective shields are also being installed at drive through windows. Just days ago, TNT Supermarkets, which falls under Loblaw, brought in mandatory temperature checks for its employees, and it is optional now for customers. Tina Trajani, Global News. Time now for sports, powered by Hanford's Tire and Service. Rob Gronkowski is back in the NFL. The star tight end is coming out of retirement to join Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. The New England Patriots have agreed to trade Gronk and a seventh-round draft pick to the Bucks for a fourth-rounder. 
Time now for a Market Minute, and from the eWorkplace Business Center, here is Rob Westgate. Global markets saw a broad-based decline yesterday as crude oil prices sank to their lowest level in more than two decades on heightened supply concerns. Toronto's S&P TSX lost 448 points to close at 13,940, a drop of 3.1%. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 631 points to 23,018, and the Nasdaq finished in the red, down 297 points at 8,263. A mixed morning for the Asian markets. Japan's Nikkei is finishing down 142 points at 19,137. Ahead of closing in Hong Kong, the Hang Seng is up 90 points. And the loonie is trading this morning at 70.57 cents U.S. Coming up next, more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Welcome back to the program, everyone. London City Council has uh, quite the task in front of it, courtesy of the pandemic. The debate that is to come, I think, is going to be the most important we've had in a long time, far surpassing the discussion over bus rapid transit, which dominated city uh, debate for a couple of years. As we heard from Sarney Mayor Mike Bradley yesterday, they have already made two millions in cuts uh, there. They expect more will be uh, to come. London City Council met yesterday to discuss setting tax rates, Uh, The debate came uh, two months after the multi-year budget was formalized. You may remember that came in at uh, 4.4%. However, they do have a policy on the books that allows them to set the tax rate differently for residential, multi-residential, commercial, industrial, and farms. By an 8 to 7 vote, they decided on the following tax rates. Residential will see a 2.5% increase. Multi-residential will see a 3% increase. Commercial will receive a 5.2% increase, industrial gets a 1.9% increase, and farm gets a 14.2% increase. The question becomes, of course, uh, who do you give a break? If you give homeowners a break, who does? what does that put on businesses? If you give businesses a break, what does that do for homeowners? Uh, Additionally, they did uh, go ahead with the uh, 60-day deferral for property uh, taxes. That is a deferral, though, eventually, that will have to be paid. Uh, Jerry McCartney is the president and CEO of the London Chamber of Commerce. He joins us now to talk about this. Jerry, appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure, Devin. Thanks. Uh, What are your thoughts uh, as you've been watching uh, council looking at uh, setting various uh, tax rates uh, amidst this uh, pandemic here? Look, I I appreciate the fact that they're in a bit of a a squeeze and a bit of a dilemma, and much of what they worked on uh, in terms of this budget and this uh, tax-setting period that we've gone through was done prior to COVID-19. But the world changed, and it changed quite significantly. So while we appreciate some of the efforts that, that we're seeing, the deferral of property tax payments, the you know, removal of penalties and interest on some of those things. Frankly, that's moving uh, the issue down the road a bit, which is helpful. But given what we're seeing from the federal government and the provincial government, they're really throwing virtually everything at business to see what they can do to help it get through this period, because it's going to be uh, quite tragic, I think. The the end result of of COVID-19 may see as many as a third of, of businesses in Canada go under. So everything we can do to help mitigate that uh, is is absolutely necessary. What what I thought might have been the case, and I, I see it was a very close vote, uh, is that they could freeze that rate, uh, at the very least freeze it to what it was last year so we don't see a 5.2% increase. That's not going to be helpful. 
It's not going to help those businesses that are uh, either on the verge of going under or or are going to face a significantly contracted economy uh, when and if this thing gets over with. So disappointed. Uh, I get the problem that they're in. I understand the issues that they've got. But even prior to COVID-19, the commercial rate was at at a disadvantage to begin with. When you think about why business pays more than the residential rate and sees these increases year after year, businesses don't use arenas. They don't use parks and pools and and museums and libraries, and very few of them actually get sidewalk clearing. And yet, they, they, they are paying for all that at a substantially higher rate than residences do. So we're not happy with this. Uh, we understand where the where the city is, and I think the big city mayors, I know, are lobbying the federal government to get more money to come to cities, because if cities fail, we all fail. So they need help uh, on the revenue side. What we need help with uh, as a small business community is not seeing these rates increase. Would that involve going back and redoing the budget, or what? what's the best way to... Well, I, I think they we could can. have, under the circumstances, uh, said, look, we're, we're not going to pass this budget. We're going to leave everything as is and maybe postpone the whole passing of the budget by six months. It's doable. Every business, every organization in Canada has to rethink and rejig uh, its plans or their plans because of COVID-19. And, and I think the city could have done likewise. I, I don't see it necessary to move these tax rates up at this particular time. And certainly a, a period of... Uh, relaxation on these rates would have been uh, quite welcome. So, yeah, deferrals are fine. Uh, It does provide some temporary relief, uh, but in the long term, we're still going to end up paying those. And now, with these rate increases, we're going to be paying more. What are you hearing from local companies right now? Well, I'm sure when they see the news, they're not going to be happy because, A, I think it may accelerate the number of businesses that will say, look, we're, we're on such fine tight more margins to begin with, this this may be just enough to push some of those over the edge and cause them to fail. Uh, those that are left are going to be looking at an increased cost of doing business. In an economy that's going to be significantly contracted compared to what we were used to prior to COVID-19, so it's going to make it even harder for them to compete and survive in this new, new environment. Are, I mean... Uh... I guess, I guess, how worried are you about these? We, we've heard that one-third figure, and we've been talking to a lot of businesses on this program about, you know, how they're trying to get by, and we're trying to show, you know, as many local businesses still in operation uh, for listeners to try and support as much as possible. But really, just how worried are you about uh, where we could be, you know, six months or 12 months from now? Well, as the CEO of uh, London's largest business organization, I'm, I'm worried about it all the time. I don't get a lot of sleep over this. Uh, this is going to hurt. And it's going to hurt uh, badly. We've got some 22,000 businesses in London. Uh, 19,000 of those employ fewer than 10 people, but they provide about 50% of all the jobs in London. And, and consequently, those employees of those companies provide about 50% of the tax base to London. So, so we're increasing the rate at which we charge a shrinking pie. Uh, and so fewer and fewer businesses will exist after that, but we want to tax them at a higher and higher rate. It's it's a lose-lose proposition. And I get it. I understand that the city is bleeding cash. So is every city across the country. We've got to find ways from both the federal and provincial government to support the cities so cities don't end up having to do that to businesses. 
Something I've been asking a lot of our guests uh, who, uh, you know, have an interest in this and, and follow this aspect of it all is, uh, you know, there's there's limited tools the municipal government does have, but I do wonder if they were to get a bailout of sorts from the province, does that allow them to provide relief in other areas? Uh, do you think it could come that, you know, cities like London, you know, uh, Sarnia, Windsor, go down the list uh, across the province might need a bailout from the province uh, as part of uh, the, the course of this pandemic? Well, cities operate uh, at the pleasure of the province, and and they are wards of the province. So, if they don't receive that kind of help, and they and they go under and declare bankruptcy, which is possible, we're hearing that from Vancouver and other cities. Uh, then what have you got? You don't have much of a country left, or or much of an economy left. So, yes, I think they're going to need some support, and if, I think it was administered fairly and equitably across the board. So, no. Per- particular city has any advantage over the other, much like the Municipal Act in Ontario provides, uh, then you can do it. You, you certainly have to play fair, uh, but I think you're going to see uh, increasingly the need for cities to get support from both levels. Just coming back to the, the tax side of the thing, too, uh, we we already know, because we've lobbied for this for years, that London has one of the highest, if not, I think it was tied for, for highest at one point, uh, the highest business education tax rate in the province. The province has, has attempted or claimed to attempt to fix this on numerous occasions, going back several different uh, governments and parties, uh, and here we are without a fix. And so London businesses are paying a disproportionately higher business education tax than cities around the province. And that's not fair and it's not competitive. We need to get that fixed as well. Jerry, I appreciate the time today. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure, Devin. Thanks. You be healthy. You as well. That is uh, Jerry McCartney, President and CEO of the London Chamber of Commerce. We need to pause. When we come back, we will have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Earlier this month, the Quebec government suggested reopening schools and daycares could be a way to both kickstart the economy and slow the transmission of COVID-19 in the province. Uh, Evidence that uh, children infected with the uh, novel coronavirus rarely develop serious symptoms of the disease led to talk of exposing students to the virus as a quasi-vaccination strategy and a way of building herd immunity a type of resistance uh, to the diseases spread within society. Premier Francois Legault had floated the idea of reopening schools and daycares before May the 4th if hospitalizations were to stabilize so adults could return to work without worrying about finding care for their children. After receiving heavy criticism, he tempered some of his initial optimism about opening schools before May 4th. Now says schools will stay closed until public health officials agree to open them and until he has assurance there is no risk to children and teachers. I want to talk about this because herd immunity is something we discussed previously on the show. A couple weeks ago, we uh, talked to Greta Bauer about this. Uh, She is an epidemiologist and professor of epidemiology and biostatistics at Western University and joins us now again to talk about this. Appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much. Yeah, good morning, Devin. Uh, We talked two weeks ago about the idea of coronavirus parties. This isn't that, but it's in the same ballpark in terms of trying to find herd immunity when it's really not possible through this method, like they were suggesting earlier in Quebec, right? 
Well, yeah, there are a couple of things to remember. I think, you know, people who are older will remember chicken pox parties and people who are even older, measles and rubella parties. And the reason that we could have kids get together and get exposed to those diseases and develop immunity is because they produce lifelong immunity and everybody who was older in the population pretty much had already had that and already had immunity. So there wasn't the risk of those children coming home and making their parents and their grandparents sick because they had immunity. But this is a new virus and we don't have that kind of population immunity. So if we were to let this run through elementary schools, all of those kids are going home and we have about 6 million families in Canada with kids under the age of 18 and they'd be bringing that home to those families. Yeah, the plan didn't seem to have taken account teachers, education professionals, and then the families themselves, these kids would be going home to, which would be obviously, as you say, you know, kind of a, a major aspect of the herd immunity, which we'd have in other cases, but we we don't have for this. Yeah, and I think the other thing to keep in mind is it is true that we've had almost no children under the age age nine and under die worldwide. Um, it's a little higher with adolescents, with teenagers, um, but still very, very low. But death isn't the only concern here as well, right? We really don't know what the long-term health implications are. You know, so for example, we vaccinate for chickenpox, not because chickenpox kills children, but because we want to prevent shingles in older adults, you know, and some of the long-term implications where the virus can continue to um, to live within an individual for, for years and decades afterward and come back and cause disease later in life. We have no idea what that looks like for this new virus yet. So at, at the same time, we're, we are really focused, people are really focused on when can we when can we open schools because it is having such an impact on children and moves to things like online education just aren't something that works particularly well for younger children. Yeah, it does seem people are getting uh, pretty antsy with the social distancing, the physical distancing. People want things to get back to normal, but uh, the virus just doesn't work that way. It doesn't move in a straight line. No, and so we need to be able to open the schools safely, not use them as incubators for spreading infection. And last week, um, the Director General of the World Health Organization released six criteria for um, for people to think about in terms of when to lift restrictions. One of them is that schools and workplaces and other essential places um, have preventive measures in place. And so, you know, we haven't had... um, any announcements about what that would look like for schools? You know, will children be kept together in small pods where they move together and they're only around that group of children instead of mixing in with everybody? You know, how is the physical environment going to be safe? How is sanitation going to be handled in terms of, of cleaning things? You know, what are we going to do so that those schools can be opened in a way that's as safe as possible? And then the second of those six that I think is really relevant here is that health systems need to be able to detect, test, and isolate and treat every case because we know that the numbers can go up very fast with this because infections are spread in these kind of spurts and clusters, but it takes a long time for them to come down because with this disease, it takes, you know, two to 14 days for symptoms, a median of 11 days to hospitalization, you know, longer. So the implications of those numbers going up are with us for quite a long time afterward. So we need to know when there's the start of an outbreak, not when something's already, you know, been transmitted uh, and is, is spreading through the community. And we know that in Ontario, we're really not, we've not been able to ramp up um, testing and and tracing to the extent that we're able to say we can do that. This was suggested by the health director in Quebec. Does it surprise you this was suggested from, from that source and maybe not from someone who might not be in a leadership position with, with regards to public health? 
Yeah, it was a surprise. And I think because, again, people are focused on opening schools, I can see the appeal of that. And um, and it is true that, that children are at less risk of dying from this and younger children at virtually no risk of dying from this, that under 10 crowd. And so it is safer for them to be affected, infected. But, um, but children don't exist. You know, they're not going to a summer-long coronavirus isolation camp, right? You know, our children are parts of our families and they're all, you know, going back into those homes. And anybody who's had a child who's, you know, entered the school system or even entered daycare knows that, you know, for a while the whole family is just getting respiratory infections because the kid's bringing them home, right? Absolutely. Greta, I certainly appreciate the time today. Uh, Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. That is uh, Greta Bauer, epidemiologist and professor of epidemiology and biostatistics at Western University. We need to pause. When we come back, we will have uh, more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning. It's 8 o'clock. I'm Scott Monick in downtown London. It's partly sunny. We are sitting at minus three. Questions are emerging about the way RCMP in Nova Scotia issued warnings to the public amid a shooting spree over the weekend. We'll have details on the way, but first we'll check in with the Lexus of London Traffic Centre and Nick Van Overloop. Inside the city, roads are moving well so far this morning. Outside of the city, the 401, 402 to Sarnia and 403 to Brantford are also moving well for your morning drive. As always, if you see a traffic tie-up or collision, call us hands-free at 519-931-6098. And now from the Bentley Hearing Services Weather Center, here's Jim Wilson. Again today, mostly cloudy, sunny breaks and occasional lake-generated flurries or rain showers as we get to 3 degrees are high. And most of the action will be this morning and midday. The afternoon should quiet down some. But tonight, still a chance of flurries or rain showers or even a bit of freezing rain as our low of minus 3 begins to climb. Now, showers and 5 will be the result Thursday, partly sunny and 12 on Friday. And we should repeat that on Saturday. Today's high 3. Questions are emerging in Nova Scotia about the lack of an emergency alert during one of this country's worst mass killings. A Halifax man impersonating an RCMP officer killed 22 people in five different communities from Saturday night through Sunday at noon. Premier Stephen McNeil said the province's emergency alert system was ready to go, but was not used because no request was received at the emergency management office from the RCMP. McNeil urged Nova Scotians not to fixate on the killer, but honour the lives of the victims. And if I had a message for Nova Scotians, it is to not to let the individual define us, but let the spirits of the victims define us. Uh, they were community-minded people who cared and loved for each other and supported one another and were building a life for themselves and the community, making a difference in this province. That's what we should be working towards to let define uh, this tragedy that uh, has been brought to us. Police say they are working at 16 specific locations to gather evidence and learn more about what happened. A serious two-vehicle crash in North London sent three people to hospital. It happened yesterday afternoon, just before 4 o'clock, at Fanshawe Park and Hyde Park Roads. Police say a 24-year-old man who was driving one of the vehicles was taken to hospital in serious condition. The other driver, a 54-year-old man, and a 42-year-old male passenger in the vehicle were both taken to hospital in serious condition and remain in critical but stable condition. The intersection was closed for several hours but has since reopened. London City Council unanimously approved an additional economic relief measure to help Londoners and local businesses during the COVID-19 pandemic. Last night, Council voted to defer the due date for final 2020 property tax installments by 60 days. 
Meantime, City Councilor and the City's Budget Chair, Josh Morgan, says a new report due out later today will highlight the economic impact the pandemic is having on the city's finances. That'll be a a very interesting report. So you'll really have an understanding of how the city operations and our finances have been impacted by this pandemic. Councillors will have a chance to go over that report during a committee meeting next week. The son of a 94-year-old woman who died of COVID-19 at one of Quebec's hardest-hit long-term care homes has filed an application for a class-action lawsuit against the residents. Jean-Pierre Dubois is alleging the Montreal-area long-term care home acted negligently by forcing two employees with COVID-19 symptoms to remain at work, by improperly isolating residents, and by failing to provide protective equipment to employees. His class action suit also targets the regional health authority responsible for the long-term care home. Tim Hortons employees will have to take a couple of extra steps before asking you for your order. Global's Tina Trajani explains. Starting today, workers will have to have their temperatures taken before they start their shift. And while they're on the floor, they will have to wear a non-surgical mask. The same applies to delivery drivers, as the company does its part to help prevent the spread of COVID-19. The company says the new requirements, which are now in place right across the country, protects the workers and the customers. Protective shields are also being installed at drive through windows. Earlier this week, TNT Supermarkets implemented mandatory temperature checks for its employees. And customers entering the store have the option of doing so. Tina Trajani, Global News. Time now for sports. Powered by Hanford's Tire and Service, Rob Gronkowski spent nine seasons catching passes from Tom Brady in New England, and the two are about to reunite in Tampa Bay. Gronkowski's agent says the star tight end is about to come out of retirement and has accepted a trade to the Buccaneers. The Patriots also would send a seventh-round pick to the Bucs for a fourth-rounder. Time now for a Market Minute, and from the eWorkplace Business Center, here is Rob Westgate. Global markets saw a broad-based decline yesterday as crude oil prices sank to their lowest level in more than two decades on heightened supply concerns. Toronto's S&P TSX lost 448 points to close at 13,940, a drop of 3.1%. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 631 points to 23,018, and the Nasdaq finished in the red, down 297 points at 8,263. A mixed morning for the Asian markets. Japan's Nikkei is finishing down 142 points at 19,137. Ahead of closing in Hong Kong, the Hang Seng is up 90 points. And the loonie is trading this morning at 70.57 cents U.S. Coming up next, more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock right here on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. We are into the uh, third hour of the program. Good morning, everybody. Happy Earth Day to you all. The COVID-19 pandemic has created a temporary oasis of uh, cleaner skies and waters, but at uh, pretty significant health and economic costs. It's an ironic coincidence that this once-in-a-lifetime moment is happening around the 50th anniversary of Earth Day. These glimpses of a cleaner planet do illustrate the challenge of improving our environmental situation for the long haul. And as I said off the top of this, uh, this is Earth Day. Uh, to talk about this, we are joined by Pierre Lucier. He is Earth, Can- Earth Day Canada's director. Appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. Happy Earth Day, Devin. How has Earth Day and the environment been impacted by the uh, pandemic? 
I think like all of us, you know, we've been very impacted. It's, uh, but we are still holding, you know, there's, there was never a question to cancel or, you know, to cancel and not to honor this tradition. We're moving online. We try to go for a little bit further than, you know, just to be online. And uh, so we're trying to engage people to do uh, things at home and also to engage themselves that when we're going to get out of the crisis, that we are going to, uh, you know, live in a, a greener world. When you see some of the changes that have happened around the globe uh, environmentally, just because we have fewer people on the streets, uh, does that make you think that, you know, we can we can pull this off or that maybe we'll go back to what we were doing beforehand? <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's two things here. This is, you know, uh, it's a crisis and what hap- what is happening, either if it's good or bad for the environment, I think it's part of the crisis. I think there's, um, you know, we're kind of uh, seeing the end of the world and I, I think this is going to have ourselves react. But on the other hand, I think we always uh, change is tough. So, uh, you know, going back to uh, same as it was before is going to be a temptation. And I guess it's for us, it's the one who believes in um, in change that, it, you know, it's a, it's an opportunity to seize. And But again, this is in the future. I hope this momentum, this Earth Day can, you know, allows us to kind of look at the horizon. This is kind of my wish. So we we could imagine ourselves outside of this crisis. But I understand that now it's, you know, we, this is a uh, we're mourning the, the people that are leaving us too early. The uh, the positive changes are also, you know, they're good, but they aren't going to be enough to get us out of this either. So this is, you know, you know, it's if there is a positive that comes from the pandemic, maybe it's uh, a little of what we see we can do, but this is not going to solve the problem by any means. I think there is, um, you know, there's for me, I'm hopeful. I think uh, there's no, uh, you know, and that's the philosophy of our day. You know, we're not, you know, kind of a telling people what to do or, you know, kind of uh, using uh, shame to uh, because of your environmental uh, impact, but we want to enable people to take action. And um, I think there is, we see the, you know, we, we see the great solidarity we have for the confinement. So, and we're able to, uh, of great, uh, we're, we're capable. So at some point, yes, we are going there's going to be a lot to do and to revert the climate crisis and revert the environment or you know the biodiversity crisis but we are as we show to ourselves uh, today that we're capable of a great solidarity so i think there's kind of hope into this you mentioned uh, a lot of what's going to be happening for earth days going online what is going to be happening today so already, if you check our Facebook page, we've uh, did it, you know, in my backyard, a, tree, a ceremonial tree planting. Then Mr. Wilkinson, uh, there's a message from Mr. the Minister of Environment of Canada. And throughout the day, you have, uh, um, you'll have uh, uh, people's uh, engagement on short video. And at 5 o'clock, we're doing a 5, uh, a 5 à 7 with uh, some personality and the Minister of, uh, of Patrimonial Heritage Canada is going to be there, Stephen Gilbo, and also uh, 
uh, Jennifer McKelvey from the city councilor of Toronto is going to take part in, in this. And I think it's going to be interesting because it's a discussion. It's going to be a live discussion about the meaning of this earthquake. That leads me to my next question. What do you want people to take from Earth Day this year? <laughs> um, just to, so they can you, you, they can see if they, if they can stop about, you know, kind of looking at our feet of, okay, what if I'm, you know, because I guess everybody's kind of waking up. Am I feeling all right? You know, am I, am I, am I, have I catch it? So if I, if we can take a break and imagine ourselves, you know, in a year or two years from now outside of this COVID and that we've, we've engaged ourselves in a more sustainable, greener world. This is kind of, a, if, if we can achieve that for this Earth Day, that is uh, my wish. Well, uh, Pierre, I uh, certainly appreciate your time today. Thank you very much and uh, happy Earth Day. Happy Earth Day to all of you. That is uh, Pierre Lucier, Earth Day Canada's director. And certainly, you know, uh, a different uh, time to uh, celebrate Earth Day. But the uh, the changes we have seen, and you can see it from, you know, satellite images. We've There have been a number of stories done in terms of, you know, smog, uh, lack of smog in different parts of uh, the world where smog has been super heavy in the past. Not so now, just because you have a lot of business, a lot of industry shut down, people not on the streets driving as much. This is not going to get us out of the uh, the the hole we've dug ourselves in uh, in in all of this in the uh, fight for the environment. But it does show, you know, we can make a difference in a short amount of time. Although this is not the way I would want to do it by just shutting everything down and there being an extreme health and economic costs to a great many people. But we can make a difference uh, to our, our surroundings, and it does not have to always come at that health and economic cost. So, an interesting Earth Day, and uh, you know, today is the fiftieth edition of Earth Day, and I do hope, and I we do see with polls, people are becoming a bit more passionate about the environment. Caring about the environment doesn't have to come at the cost of of everything else which is sometimes i think sometimes people play those two off each other but it can come in concert with our daily lives and um, hopefully that sort of thought continues we'll take a break when we come back we'll have more of the morning show with devin peacock on global news radio 980 cfpl good morning Welcome back to the program, everyone. Good to have you along with us. I don't need to tell you the toll this pandemic has taken on all of us. It's been difficult for frontline healthcare workers, for emergency responders, for those who have emerged as frontline workers, for those who have lost someone. It's been difficult for people who have experienced hardship or a, hardship or a job loss. It's just been difficult. Uh, the work that has been done, though, by our frontline healthcare workers is incredible. And on May the 1st, Ontarians uh, can show their appreciation for doctors by turning on their phone flashlights and holding them high at 9 p.m. The initiative is being called Shine a Light for All They Do. The province-wide show of appreciation is being organized by the Ontario Medical Association. To talk about that, we are joined by Dr. Sohail Gandhi, the president of the OMA. Thanks for your time today. Oh. Thank you for having me on the show. 
Uh, May 1st is Doctor's Day in this country. Why have you chosen uh, f- shining a flashlights from our phone to honor doctors? Shining a, a light has sort of historically been a way of showing recognition. Um, you know, it started off with candle lights and uh, people holding up candles or uh, lighters at uh, concerts and then people holding up candles and lights at other places. And, of course, now everyone's got a, got a cell phone, right? Everyone's got a smartphone. And so this seemed to be a nice sort of simple way of recognizing the work that our frontline physicians are doing uh, and a nice simple way of, of thanking people. It's, it's easy, it's, it's five minutes, and uh, it's something that everyone can do. And, of course, we encourage people who uh, are doing this to take a picture of themselves doing this and tweet it out uh, along with the hashtag shine a light for them uh, just, just to recognize the work that's being done uh, by uh, physicians during this pandemic. How will uh, Doctor's Day be different for you this year as we're in the midst of a pandemic? Well, usually during Doctor's Day, we actually have a little bit of a, a gathering at, at either the hospitals or at the uh, clinics. And, you know, there's usually some cake or there's some goodies to eat. And you, you, you have a few minutes to sit back and chat with your colleagues. And, of course, we can't do that uh, this year, A, because of all the work that we're doing with the pandemic, but B, because we're also all physical distancing. So just like all other celebrations that are out there, uh, it's going to be a very, very different way of celebrating. Uh, and and we'll, we'll do that, of course, because that's the important thing to do, but it will be different. A poll came out this week showing doctors hold an extremely high level of trust among uh, Canadians. What does that say to you as we uh, talk now in the midst of this pandemic? So that is, it's just extremely gratifying. And I will say that the support that we've got from the patients of Ontario over the past few weeks has been extremely uh, gratifying and and really heartwarming to me as a physician. Uh, You know, I I actually went to my clinic about two weeks ago and someone had, and I don't know who it was, but someone put up signs in front of the clinic saying, thank you for all you do to all the doctors and and all our staff. They named all our staff individually. and, And these kind of small gestures really mean a lot uh, during this time when we're doing our best to serve the patients of Ontario. I'm sure it does. How difficult is it uh, for doctors right now? So it's very uh, stressful right now for physicians. I mean, we're certainly worried about our patients. Uh, we're worried about the toll that this pandemic has on our patients because it's not just the people who get ill, but it's the toll on people who have to stay in indoors or stay isolated for a period of time and the, the effect of that on their mental health. It's the toll of people who are waiting for tests that have been put off because of this pandemic because we're only doing emergency surgery. I mean, I have a patient of mine who has glaucoma and needs laser surgery to keep her from going blind, but that's been put off because of this. So, you know, you worry about uh, those patients. And we're we're also, of course, worried about the economic toll that this is taking on our province because that uh, is an indicator for bad health as well when people uh, don't have uh, a fair income. Earlier this week, you were critical of a proposal from the provincial government to offer advance payments, uh, saying it wouldn't be enough to keep clinics open during the pandemic. Have you heard back from the government since then as we uh, look for ways to uh, better support uh, everyone here? No, uh, unfortunately, we haven't heard back, and and I view that as a failure of the bureaucracy, really. I, I think the health minister, who I actually quite like the health minister, I think she's overall done a very good job, but uh, the bureaucracy has really let her down on this one. They created a proposal that shows a lack of understanding how the healthcare system works. Um, the proposal essentially said that, you know, the work that you don't 
do right now can be made up in the future, which just isn't, I mean, it's just not feasible. An orthopedic surgeon who replaces 10 knees a month and is going to do zero knees a month in April or May, quite correctly, I would add, because of the pandemic, doesn't have the ability to do 20 in September or October to make up the work because you need more hospitals, you need more operating time, you need more surgical nurses, right, for, for that surgeon to do that. So um, it, it just showed a lack of understanding how, of how the healthcare system works when we're already 100%. And I, I really feel the bureaucrats let the health minister down, and they, they really failed her, frankly, because she's generally doing a very good job. It's a tough time for uh, for doctors now, obviously, but I can imagine, you know, even once this is, just for a hypothetical, if everything were to end tomorrow, everything that's being put on hold suddenly has to be made up. And so the tough times are going to be continuing for, for quite a while here. Yeah, there's going to be a big backlog. There's actually uh, four waves to this pandemic. The second wave is the urgent patients, like my lady with glaucoma. The third wave is the patients who got put off who needed screening tests, so someone who um, didn't get a mammogram in time and has a cancer that we haven't caught yet, so there's the third wave. And then the fourth wave is is all the the psychiatric uh, trauma, the people who really struggled with being isolated and the patients who are really worried about their economic situation and, and the toll that that's going to take on our mental health. So um, the after effects of this are going to go on for quite a period of time. Uh, I, I think Ontario is a resilient province. I think we've got uh, a lot of good leadership in the province. I do believe we'll get through all those, but we just have to be aware that there are four waves to this so that we can deal with it effectively. Well, May 1st is not that uh, far off, and uh, we can all uh, shine a light uh, to show our support to doctors. Uh, uh, Dr. Gandhi, I certainly appreciate your uh, time today. Uh, Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Stay safe. You too. Bye-bye. That is uh, Dr. Sohail Gandhi, president of the Ontario Medical Association. The the OMA is asking all Ontarians on May 1st, which is Doctors' Day in this country, to... Uh, Show your appreciation for uh, uh, doctors by uh, taking the flashlight in your phone. If you uh, don't have a cell phone, uh, if it's uh, if you lost it, if you don't have it handy, whatever, you can just take a uh, flashlight in general. And they're asking everyone to uh, shine it at 9 p.m. to uh, show your appreciation for doctors. Uh, If that's what they want, then that's what we can do, because certainly I'm appreciative of the work they're doing, uh, the way I'm appreciative of the work that so many people who are stepping up uh, to keep uh, this this world running amidst this pandemic, because it has not been easy for a great many of you, and you may not hear enough. If you don't, you should, but I certainly appreciate you, and I hope you're all staying safe. We will take a break. When we come back, we'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the program. Hope your day is going along nicely. Uh, I want to do a couple of house uh, cleaning items here. Uh, first off, uh, to uh, the listener who emailed uh, about an hour and a half ago after I talked about my uh, black bean uh, burger and how I was looking forward to it at lunch today, and I still am. 
uh, ask for the recipe. I will send you the recipe just after the show. And if anyone else wants the recipe, uh, by all means, uh, you can have it. I'll send it to you. It's a pretty good recipe. It's 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 vegan. Uh, you don't have to be as vegan with it. I'm not vegan. I just like trying different things. But it's uh, it's a good little uh, thing to try since we got all this time at home. Uh, it was pretty tasty. So uh, I wholeheartedly, uh, wholeheartedly uh, endorse it. Uh, I want to mention some of our locally owned and awesome businesses for today, courtesy of Ontario West Insurance Brokers, proudly supported by the London Police Association, UVU Office Phone. Uh, they are uh, locally founded, owned, and operated of VoIP. You can find them on the, online at uvu.ca. That's Y-O-V-U.ca. Phone number is 519-488-1001. They're located at 517 Consortium Court here in London. Also, a Bombshell Hair and Aesthetics Beauty Studio. Uh, their website is londonbombshell.com, uh, located at 1980 Dundas Street in London. Phone number is 519-951-8001. They are closed right now, but still offering and delivering products. You can check out their Facebook page at London Bombshell on Facebook, as well as you can go to the 980 CFPL page to see all the list of companies that are opening and delivering right now. Uh, We uh, certainly appreciate all our small businesses as they get uh, through this. Uh, Getting through this is going to be difficult for a lot of businesses, you know, small businesses. uh, We've talked about, you know, the sports and the uh, huge impact that's going to have. There was a a study I was reading yesterday just about just the billions and billions of dollars that could be lost in the uh, sporting industry because of the pandemic. Uh, What about, though, the music industry? London has spent a lot of time recently uh, trying to become a music city. We've had a lot of success with that, but this is going to be a pretty significant uh, hurdle uh, to cross. Who knows when sports returns? Who knows when music and festivals and concert uh, return as well. Uh, I feel with sports, it's not going to be for a while. Hope I'm wrong, but we'll see. Uh, let's talk about the music side of things, though. Alan Cross is a broadcaster with uh, Q107 and 1021 The Edge in Toronto. He's a commentator for Global News. Alan, appreciate your time today. Thank you very much. No, you're very welcome. I hear a lot from sports fans. They want sports back. What are you hearing from music fans? They want music back, but they're being very, very cautious about it. It, I ran a poll on my website the other day asking if people would be willing to go to a festival or a concert in the fall, assuming that the the virus um, settles down a little bit. And uh, some people said, well, the majority of people said maybe, but a large, large number said, what, are you kidding? you crazy? There's going to be a certain amount of PTSD that goes with this. The psychological impact is going to be terrible because we were immediately herded into self-isolation and quarantine. We're afraid to go outside to you know, interact with human beings. How long is it going to be before we're comfortable again standing around in a huge crowd of a bunch of strangers and not worry about getting sick? Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's an important point. You know, I, I was talking earlier this morning about just a small poll. It's somewhat innocuous, but people are talking about how they are washing their hands more now, and they're going to continue that after the pandemic. We uh, maybe weren't washing our hands enough before that, but I think some of our attitudes towards some of what we're doing now is going to change post-pandemic. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's already been postponed and rescheduled for the fall. You know, Coachella, for example, was supposed to happen this month. 
but they moved it to the fall. That's now in doubt because California is thinking about banning large gatherings like festivals and concerts for the rest of the year. We just heard this morning that a festival in Las Vegas called the Life is Beautiful Festival, which attracts about 175,000 people every single September, has been canceled for this year. Now, that's for September. So the, that's, that's, that's fall time. So you have to wonder whether or not there's actually going to be anything happening this fall. Uh, even if it does, let's say that a lot of these postponed and rescheduled shows go off as planned in the fall. It's going to be very difficult, especially if sports teams get back to work. Where are you going to find a venue for some of these larger tours? It's going to be a scheduling nightmare. Then there are people who are going to have concert tickets that they're hanging on to for the rescheduled date, only to find out that they may have uh, tickets for a date that they can't use, or they may have tickets for two shows scheduled on the same night when previously in the year they were on different nights. It's Again, it's going to be really hard to get this up and running again. Yeah, you, you kind of kind of read my mind there in terms of even if we were to, and everyone's cool with going out and being out in public and we could do this, just the whole process of even if you're going to have, a, you know, concerts at, you know, smaller venues, you need to have typically more than one act that participates and, and plays and, and performs. And even scheduling that is going to be difficult for a lot of these venues as well. There's just, it's so interconnected that I think sometimes we forget about that. Yeah, look at a, a festival like Coachella with you know dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of bands. They are contractually required to appear uh, on their weekends in in October when they're going to do the rescheduled dates. Well, that means they won't be able to do all. You know, how do you, I guess that is going to be their priority show? But then there's all these other missed opportunities that they won't be able to perform at because they're contractually required to appear at Coachella. Uh, a lot of these artists will have new songs or new albums out, uh, you know, and they're, they're, the marketing and promotional plans for those releases are completely you know, blown out of the water. How worried should we be about the music industry as a whole? I mean, that's, obviously that's a huge umbrella, but I mean, this is, you know, you know multi-billions of dollars here. Well, uh, it looks like the... North American business could lose about $9 billion this year. There was talk earlier this week that the creative industries in the UK are worth $111 billion to the country. Uh, so it's, 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 it, is, it is bad. Uh, Live Nation, which is the biggest promoter of content on the, on, on the planet, uh, has said that they are going to embark on a $500 million cost-cutting effort, uh, and that includes... Thunder Bay's Michael Rapino, who is the CEO of Live Nation, forgoing his $3 million salary. There are other issues with venues not being able to stay open. I keep seeing things, uh, you know, these small little places that are the lifeblood of any local seat. They're closing. They, they just can't maintain, um, the you know, the, paying the rent because there's no shows. Um, I know the promoters are hurting. I know that agents are hurting. And everybody associated with the concert industry, from the guy at the parking lot to the person who sells the T-shirts. It is, uh, it is a uh, it almost it, it it hurts to just think about it. It's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Alan, I appreciate the time today. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. That is Alan Cross, broadcaster with uh, Q107 and 1021 uh, The Edge in Toronto, commentator for Global News. He wrote a, co a commentary on this just uh, the other day. Uh, worth your time uh, to read because um, 
it is uh, almost unimaginable uh, the toll this is going to take on so many different aspects of life. Uh, we've been talking about, uh, you know, the, the real uh, hardcore uh, parts about, you know, frontline healthcare workers, which uh, deserves attention. But there's how many jobs are there in the music industry? How many jobs are there in the sports industry? Everything is interconnected uh, these days. Uh, the impacts are going to be uh, wide ranging. We will stop when we come back. We'll have more of The Morning Show with Devin Peacock on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Good morning. Welcome back to the program, everyone. Good morning. Occasional flurries or rain showers today, mostly cloudy, high of three. Showers or wet flurries tonight, low of minus three. Showers on Thursday, high five. Partly sunny Friday, high 12. Partly sunny on Saturday, high 12 as well. Uh, I'm getting more uh, people emailing me asking me for the uh, black bean burger recipe. Everyone who emails, I'll send it to you. Uh, uh, don't worry. I'll, I'll wait till after the show, of course, but I'll send it your way. Uh, you're you're making me think I should almost introduce a uh, a food segment to the show, uh, which is you know I, I love to cook, and uh, I could all like I watch a lot of uh, of the Food Network, and I watch a lot of the Cooking Channel. But I you know the Food Network is one of my go tos when I turn on uh, the TV. So if you guys want a food segment on the program, hey. You're talking to the right guy, all right? Uh, but uh, more importantly, if you uh, do want to hear stuff on the show, so like uh, I try to book this show and plan this show out for something I would want to hear in the morning. I don't want like a morning show to be all doom and gloom. That's not what I want in the morning if I'm a listener, if I'm you guys. You still, though, uh, need to make sure people have the information you need. You need to know some of what you need to know, which is not always, you know, uplifting or positive. So that's the balance I find and we have for all the shows, right? None of the shows want to be, you know, doom and gloom for you. Uh, in particular, though, I, I think, you know, a morning show in particular should have the the effect of lifting you up as you go about your day, whether you're on a commute uh, to work or whether your commute to work is going from your bed to your couch or the bed to the to the desk, whatever the case might be. So if there's something you want to hear on the show, email me by by all means. Devin at 980cfpl.ca, what kind of show you want. Uh, the caveat being, I'm not necessarily going to do everything people suggest, but I'll try and work it in as best I can. So I, I just just sending it doesn't mean I'm going to do it, but I'll try my darndest to try and give you guys the show you want because you're the reason we're doing the show, right? I, we're not doing it for me. I can't hear myself, even though I've got the headphones on. I can't do all that. So I want a show you guys will would like and will want to hear, enjoy, and tune into uh, day after day. So uh, if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, by all means, send it to me in the type of show you want to hear because uh, that's the show... I want to do for you. But if you got recipes, if we can work in a cooking element to this show, hey, I'm game, guys. I am I am in. I am in. Uh, I do I did a, a a beef wellington, by the way, for um for uh, for Easter. Uh, life hack. Beef wellingtons are easier than you might think. They take a process throughout the day to cook, but it's not slaving in the kitchen all day long if you want, right? So 
I'm I I would recommend Beef Wellingtons, guys. Go with the Beef Welly if you want. But uh, also, as, as I've as you've picked up, you know, I've I try to eat different things, and I didn't mean to talk about food for you know four or five minutes here. But hey, who's going to stop me, right? I guess Nick at at the station could stop me. <laughs> he controls the board. <laughs> uh, but you know, I try to do different things, right? Uh, so I'm eating, you know, a, a bit more vegan bit vegetarian from time to time obviously still eating uh, meat as uh, the beef uh, willy uh, suggests but it's the balance and everything and uh, you know i'm having a ball the, the black bean burger i don't want to sell oversell the black bean burger too much but it was uh, mighty tasty and i'm going to be eating it in about uh, three hours and seven minutes not that i have to eat immediately at noon but that's tend to be what i'm doing I, i'm a, like a i'm a guy who likes his his routines and working at home is a, a different routine. Anyway, enough talk about food. Or maybe not enough. We shall see. I did want to mention a couple of different interesting things because I love these different little polls. Here's my, here's my, you know, let's just get weird for the past, you know, last four minutes of the show. I, you've, if you're listening to the show, I try to, you know, with the ethos I was talking about earlier in terms of, Having, you know, the, a balanced show in terms of serious stuff, serious news, not so serious, lighter information. I, I love a good poll. So any poll I can find that's a little bit off the wall or an obscure, I'm going to look out for and find. There is a show that Alan Carr does in England on the BBC. It's called Eight Out of, Eight out of Ten Cats or something like that. My dream is to find a way to do that for radio. It's it's like a panel show. So to do a, a panel show on radio in London isn't exactly easy. But if I could find a way uh, to do that uh, for you guys on the on the weekend or something like that, and I'm not even I haven't even told you know our program director <laughs> about this. Uh, that would be my thing, just because there's so much fun you can have with just more of like a humor show. So this is my way of saying I love a good survey. Like an off-the-wall weird survey, like the like the one I was talking about yesterday, where like you know there's six percent of people who would give up sex for a year just to have sports back, who which is again I'd like to meet those people and just slap them upside the head. Like what are you thinking? Five percent of people would get coronavirus on purpose just to get sports back. Insane, insane. But I love a good poll. And so uh, one quick little poll uh, before we run out of time here and we need to sign off for the day because I talked about food for too long. Uh, 31% of people say they've been using phone calls as their main way to stay in touch with friends and family during the quarantine. 43% of people have been texting. 12% have used video calls. Older people are definitely, and they don't de they don't define what older people is in this, are definitely most likely to stay in touch via phone calls. But it's the top method of people for 17% of people under 24 and 21% of people between 25 and 34. 4% of people say they have not been keeping in touch with family or friends or all at all. How are you doing that? Are you just not talking to anybody? Four. Hey, you know, whatever floats your boat, but um, 
I hope you're staying okay. You're probably not listening to the radio station or TV. Maybe, maybe you are. I don't know. If you are, and you are one of those 4% of people, call your mother. Call your father, you know. Uh, be a good son or daughter, okay? Call somebody. And this is coming from a guy who doesn't like to talk on the phone all that much. Which is weird considering I talk for a living. My thanks to uh, Robert Evans, to Mike Von Massau, to Jerry McCartney, uh, Greta Bauer, Pierre Lussier, Dr. Sohail Gandhi, and Alan Cross for coming on today's show. Jacqueline Carbone is our content producer. Nick Van Overloop is our technical producer. Thanks for not cutting me off, Nick. Uh, Steve Spruill is our engineer. Stay tuned for the Craig Needle Show coming up next, followed by London Live with Mike Stubbs and the Afternoon Show with Jess Brady. Have a great day. Stay safe. We'll be back in 21 hours.